messages to priests and sacrifices. And the, the, um, the scripture is Malachi chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 14. So uh, the Bible says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. I need a little more monitor. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick, Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So a little bit of background. In this book of the prophet Malachi, the prophet is chastising in this passage the priesthood that was serving at this time that was in charge uh, because in their carrying out of their official duties and responsibilities, uh, what we find is that, and what we're going to find is that they were not being faithful to their call, and then their responsibilities, not to the, so much to showing up on time and, and, and being and clocking in, but they weren't being faithful to their responsibilities and privileges before the Lord. They were not obeying the Word of God in its entirety. They weren't obeying the Word of God in according not just to the letter of the law, but also the intent of the law. And they were not, because of that, they were not teaching people to obey the Word of God. Instead of living and functioning in such a way that they were bringing honor to God and glorifying God, they were actually serving uh, in a way that dishonored God. So uh, some of these uh, titles that I use really just kind of break up the passage a little bit, but they're kind of saying the same thing. Uh, but I'll try, I think I tried to start them all with a D. <laughs> so the first one is the priest's dishonor. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Again, if we were to read that, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. So there again, I want you to see he's talking to the priest, and all of you can breathe deeply because none of us are priests. Whew. Not talking about me, right? Well, give me opportunity. Give me time. We'll get there. Who are we talking about when we talk about the priests? Numbers 3, 11 through 13 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. I've taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn male, who opens the womb among the children of Israel, therefore the Levites shall be mine. If you remember, when all the people were about to come out of Exodus, the angel of death passed over, and every firstborn 
uh, was going to die. And in some sense, the, the firstborn of the Israelites were uh, atoned for. They were uh, bought with the blood that was shed of the lamb. And so what God is saying is those firstborn should have died, but they're not. So instead of, because I redeemed them and I purchased them with the blood of the lamb that was shed, they're going to be mine. They're going to belong to me. Okay? Uh, Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sacrificed to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So in Numbers chapter 1, verse 50, it tells us what they were to do. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, over all the things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit uh, uh, further delineation here, out of the Levites, you had the, uh, the priesthood itself, which was the, they call it the uh, Aaronic priesthood, those were the Levites is the broad category, and a clan out of the Levites was uh, Aaron and his sons and his descendants, and their job was to tend to the holy place and the most holy place and actually to, to, uh, to, to deal with the, the sacrifices. The rest of the Levites, their job was to support the Aaronic priesthood by taking care of the tabernacle, setting it up, moving it, all the duties that go with that. But all the Levites were set apart to God, and all of them were called priests unto the Lord. So what does it mean to be a priest unto the Lord? Uh, Just kind of to to distill it, it means you're chosen by God to live for God and to take care of the things of God. It also means you're given the privilege and the responsibility to faithfully represent the nature and the character of God. Well, where did I get that from? Leviticus 20, 26. And you, talking to the Levites, well, actually talking to all the people of God, but this also, the Levites, uh, particularly Aaron, would have a miter on its head, and on it it would say, Holy to the Lord, because the Israelites were set apart for the Lord, as well as the Levites. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. In Leviticus 11:44 it says, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. In other words, as I am so are you to be, right? So when you see the Israelites, you should have a reflection of the character and the nature of God, right? So uh, neither shall you defy yourself with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What we see in this passage is the prophet makes the charge that the priest, in the very first passage that we read in Malachi, the prophet makes the charge that the priests were not fulfilling their responsibilities faithfully and they were not representing God. And in saying that, he was saying they were not honoring God. So what does he mean by that? To answer that, we kind of kind of figure out what does that word honor mean? To honor means to respect and to esteem someone, to show respect and esteem toward another person. Actually, another way of translating that word honor would be worship. In the New Testament, it says in Matthew chapter 5, uh, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, when you pray, pray this way. Hallowed be your name. How many of y'all use the word hallowed? Right? Do you talk to your kids and say, you need to hallow me? No, you don't say that. It means to to reverence, right? It also means, in a way, what you're doing is you're 
honoring God. You're submitting yourself to the Lord. You're recognizing who He is. You have esteem for His name. Uh, inherent in that is what we call the fear of the Lord. You reverence God. You reverence It's not being afraid of God. It's recognizing that God is awesome. And I get the privilege of serving an awesome God, right? So honor can apply to the recognition of one's right to great respect or to any expression of such recognition. So why should a priest honor God? Because he is the one who represents the divine being to his subjects and, and in return from them to God. He acts as an ambassador, a chosen vehicle through whom Yahweh God has chosen to serve the people and represent him on his behalf. He also mediates between the people and their God. Think of an ambassador that was not reflecting the administration that they serve in the natural world. Think of an ambassador that was dishonoring the government that they serve. What did you think about that? Now, they wouldn't be an ambassador for very long. In some ways, what the charge that Malachi is making is that the Israelite priests who are God's ambassadors on the earth are not reflecting by the way they live, by what they do, the honor that is due to the God whom they serve, the God whom chose them, the God who set them in their position, the God who gave them the privilege of being priests. What does it mean to dishonor God? It means, in a sense, to misrepresent God, to not treat God as holy and misrepresent God as not being holy. The priests were not honoring God because they were not demonstrating God for who he was, and they weren't recognizing God and living the way God shows himself to be, which is holy. All right, so that brings me to my second point. We're going back to the book of Malachi again, verse 6. The, and I, I titled this, The Priest's Despisal. I don't even know if that's a word. I wanted to use the word despise, but I didn't know how to, so I just made up a word. Hopefully it's in the dictionary, all right? Malachi 1, 6 through 12. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? So the charge that Malachi is making is that you despise the name of the Lord. And he says to them, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? Would you be, would, would you, uh, would you, would Offer it then to your governor. Oh, okay, I, I jumped. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, favorably says the Lord of hosts? So what basically they're doing is they are not even treating God from the, in the same level that they would treat their king or their ambassador or their officials because they are basically saying, well, God doesn't know anyway. He doesn't really care. But apparently, through the prophet, God is saying, I see everything you do, and I do care. Right? Verse 10. Who is there among you who would shut the door so that you cannot kindle fire on my altar in vain? In other words, he said, I wish you didn't even have altar, I mean, uh, worship services. I wish you didn't even have services anymore because it's not reflecting what I desire. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. All you do is you go to church, sit in the pews, and you do nothing. I'm not talking to anybody here. Just came out, but I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people up there on uh, Internet land. 
It says, uh, uh, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you, my ambassadors, my priests, you profane it. And that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. The word despise means to look down on with contempt. It means to think lightly of. Why were the priests thinking lightly of the things of God? Why were the priests dishonoring God? Because they despised the things of God. That is, they didn't think very highly of them. They thought lightly of God by thinking lightly of the things of God by how they treated the things of God. What they did reflected how they felt. In other words, what you really believe about something is not reflected by what you say, it's reflected by what you do. I'm a Christian. I love God. Well, let me watch it for a little bit and see if it's true. I'm not saying personally. I'm saying that's really the way it should be, right? Now, we all make mistakes. None of us is perfect, right? I'll be the first one to admit. Actually, my wife will be the first one to admit. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm flawed. I'm a flawed individual. I will forever be flawed, but I'm striving towards perfection. That's what the Bible says. Perfection doesn't mean perfect. It means mature. It means maturity. And how do you measure maturity? If you go to the book of John, if you read the gospel of John, if you read the letters of John, it's how, how you express the love of God to other people. Right? Love uh, is different than how much of Christianity is expressed because a lot of Christianity today is uh, uh, you come and you get something. But true love is not about getting something. True love is about what you have to give. Right? If you're truly growing up in Christ and you're truly maturing in Christ, it's not so much about what I can get, it's about what I can give. But how many people go to church because of what they can get? How many people serve God because of what they can get? Now, there's not, nothing wrong in that. God rewards faithfulness. We understand that. We like that. But there should come a place where we're not serving God just because of what he's going to continue to give me. I serve God because he loves me. I'm so full of the love of God that I can't help but love somebody else. I can't help but let that love out. I think about my girls, and I just, I just want to love on them. I want to bless them. I want to do stuff for them. Not because they're going to do anything for me. It's just because I, I wish I, had, I could do more for them. And that's the way the love of God is and should be within us, right? So anyway, the priests thought lightly about God and uh, what they did reflected how they felt. In other words, what you really believe about something is not reflected by what you say. A lot of people say they're Christians today. A lot of people say they love God, but what they do often belies what they say. The priests in Malachi say, we're, we're the priests of the Lord. We serve God. We're holy to the Lord. But what they were doing was they were compromising the word of God in their everyday life. Malachi 2, 4 through 9 then you shall know that, I, how were they doing this? And, and, and actually Malachi chapter 2 explains a little more in-depthly what they were doing. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. Now remember, he's talking to the Levites. And he said, when I first started dealing with Levi, and so, and he's starting to deal with Levi, he's saying, this is my covenant with Levi, which you were in his loins. This is what it was supposed to be. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, 
and I gave them to him that he might fear me, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth. My word was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. In other words, he taught them the word of God and said, this is right, this is wrong. If you want to serve God, this is how you serve God, and this is, God, this is what pleases God, this is what does not please God. And he wasn't, and this is, I'm elaborating on this, and he wasn't compromised by a fear of people or fear of what they might do to him. He was, he was enamored and in love with God and served God by faithfully fulfilling God's word. And the Lord says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from the priest's mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Again, he's the ambassador for the king, for the, for the, for the, for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But you, and he's talking now to the present-day priests, you have departed from the way. Why? You have caused many to stumble at the law. In other words, you're not teaching faithfully my word to the people. You're not only not teaching them faithfully, you're not living faithful to my word. Therefore, I have also made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways but have shown partiality in the law. In the book of James, we are, we are admonished not to show partiality to the rich over the poor. But we're also not supposed to show partiality to the poor over the rich. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a a desire to help the poor. We're not saying that at all. I'm just saying is that if you favor the poor just because they're poor, you're not doing it right either. The Bible actually says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You can have a lot of money and be poor in spirit. You can have no money and be proud. Right? So the priests were showing partiality in the law, and this brings me where I was in the book of Leviticus. Okay, in the book of Leviticus, this is where I started. Not where you started, but this is where I started when I went into this. Leviticus 22, 19-25. And God is talking to the Israelites. He's talking to the Levites. And he's, this is what they're supposed to do. You shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish. So that, what does it mean? Your best. Not lame. We'll get into that. Not lame, not maimed. Uh, uh, not any of that, but you're uh, a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats, whatever has a defect, you shall not offer. But it, For it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle of the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. What does it mean by no defect? Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. Reminds me of David whenever uh, there was a plague breaking out through the land and uh, the angel, he saw the angel that was going around uh, slaying uh, uh, and killing people that had been released to do that. And then all of a sudden he sees the angel and stops over the land of a guy named Ar Ar Arana, I think is his name. 
And so anyway, uh, um, the Lord tells him to build on the altar, uh, an altar there uh, to him. And so he goes to Iran and he says, I want to, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to offer a sacrifice here to stop the plague. And he says, uh, uh, I said, what's it going to cost me? He said, I'll give it to you. I'll give you this. I'll give you my sacrifice, whatever it costs, because everybody around him is dying. He said, I'll give it to you. What does it matter to me anyway? I'm, exa- I'm, I'm elaborating. What does it matter to me anyway if I die and everybody in my family? Here, you take it. And David says, no. I want to know how much it costs, and I want to pay you full price because I will not offer to God something that costs me nothing. Yet how many people today, nobody here, just out in internet land, how many people today are trying to figure out what's the least amount that I can give to God? What can I give to God that I can't sell anyway? I can't do anything with it anyway. I can't make any money on it anyway. I know what I'll do. I'll give it to God. At least I'll get a sacrifice. I'll get, you know, businessmen today, you know, uh, they get, I was told this yesterday, and, and I, I believe it to be true, that they have money that's going to go to the IRS if they don't do something with it. So their counsel, well, why don't you at least get some good in the community? People will look at you good if you donate it to charity. At least you're going to get something out of it. You're going to get a good name. People are going to revere you because you're donating it to charity. I'm not saying you're not supposed to do that or you shouldn't do that. I'm saying is that you're not doing it out of honor to God. You're doing it for what it'll do for you. And in the world, motive is nothing. I mean, motive is, is doesn't mean anything, but in the kingdom of God, motive is anything. The priests were saying that it was okay to bring these kind of sacrifices to the Lord and offer them to God. You see, even though the Word of God says it's wrong, they were saying it's okay. They were compromising the Word of God, probably to gain the favor of the people. They were compromising the Word of God, and this was totally contrary to what God had called the priests of God to do. The priests of God were supposed to be the standard bearers. They were supposed to know the Word of God. They were supposed to live the Word of God. They are supposed to teach the Word of God. No matter what anybody threatened, what anybody said, no matter what it cost them, the Word of God is the Word of God, and I will not compromise. It should be their stand, and I will not change it. This is it. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't care what it's going to cost me. I'm not bowing down. How unlike much of what's happening today. Want to grow a big church? Don't talk about this. Don't deal with sin. Just talk about something that makes the people feel good, which I'm not opposed to. I want to say things that make the people feel good, but not by compromising the Word of God. We don't want people leaving here feeling bad. What we want people leaving here is reconciled to God. And I think if you get reconciled to God, you will feel so much better in your life when all the burdens and the self-sin is lifted from your shoulders so you can walk out of here with your head held high knowing that you're in right relationship with God and knowing that your life is, 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 uh, in, in, you're walking in justly before the Lord, not because of something you've earned, not because of something that you did, but because you reconcile with God. 
but you can't reconcile with God if you don't think that what you're doing is wrong. You, that's why the Bible says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You've got to know that you have lack to embrace what God gives. If you don't think you need a Savior, you're not going to accept the Savior in your life. If you, don't, if you don't recognize the sin in your life, you're not going to repent. Healing comes when you repent. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked... That's what the word repent means. Turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That brings me to my... Uh, Leviticus, let me, let me read this, and then we'll go to the third point. Leviticus 22, 31 through 33. Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. God's charge. That brings me to the third point. Last point. <laughs> the priest's disdain. Malachi, again, try to find all the words that are start with the same letter that uh, say what you want to say. It's not an easy thing to do. The priest disdain, Malachi 1, 13 through 14. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But curse be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow but sacrifice to the Lord what is blemished, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. What do I mean by the word disdain? To disdain means to scorn, to treat with contempt, similar to the other words, to disregard and to despise. In this particular case, the priests were basically acting this way because of how they felt about their calling and their duties. Perhaps they look at their role as, as priests as just a job they had to perform, and they no longer cherish the privilege. It's kind of like, uh, I'm just finishing out my years at the plant so I can get my retirement, but I don't really like my job, never really liked my job. I really hate my job, but i got to finish out my duty so I can get that uh, 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 retirement or 401K or whatever it may be. That's what the priests were doing. Right? In essence, they were saying, there's nothing special about the Lord's altar, and therefore, because it's not special, what we offer on it doesn't really matter. The Lord's assessment of the priest's intentions and attitudes is that they have no respect for the stipulations of his word concerning their sacrificial duties and have no reverence for the holiness of God's name. They no longer held the things of God in high regard, and so they no longer taught others to do so either. I was talking last night about time in my life. I went out to dinner with someone, uh, a couple, and um, it reminded me of some things that I went through when I was younger. Now I was trying to make this relevant. I served in a pastorate in Pearland, and um, when I was serving the pastorate, I, I was so excited to be a pastor. I called to be a pastor. I, I served as a youth pastor, and I got finally got my first pastorate. Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. Like Marty, I'm going to be a five, how, how do you say that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I, was, uh, I started with 40, and I ended with 39. No, something like that. 
I just remember that uh, those were when I first got there it was awesome it was amazing and after about five years I was going through a really difficult time I realized at the end of those five years that sheep bite and I was suffering from blood loss wow, that was, I thought that was pretty good when I wrote that <laughs> I wanted to do anything else but pastor. But I didn't want to leave my calling, so I thought, well, I'll try being an evangelist, right? Um, that kind of went and fell on the wayside. And so I, I ended up uh, getting a job digging pits with a shovel. I have a master's degree. I have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. I've been serving as a pastor for five years, and I got a job digging pits. And literally, this divine irony, I was in a pit every day that I dug myself. Looking back on it, it's true. I put myself in that position. My attitude, the way that I lived. Uh, at first, I'm telling you, it was, it was a sheep, but it really wasn't. It was me, right? I was outside of the pastor for three and a half years. And I thankfully, my after about six months, my uncle came and said, why don't you work for me? And, and for three years, he uh, I worked for him on the other side of Houston. I was uh, uh, in the concrete business and the construction business. But I remember many a day, you know, because I, you got to remember, when I left the pastor, I wouldn't care if I ever stepped foot in the, in the church again. I, that's how I felt. I mean, I didn't want to leave God, but at that particular time, that's how I felt. I was so thankful, looking back on it, that my two kids needed to be in church because I went to church Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, because my kids need to be in church. If I didn't have kids, I probably would be a casualty of the ministry. But thank God they needed to be in church, and my love for them led me to do stuff I wouldn't do for myself. And I'm so grateful for that. But I, here I am, three years working for my uncle, and I remember many a day going into the office and thinking to myself, see, all that now the Lord's doing a healing in my life, and I'm just thinking to myself, oh, if I could just open the doors of the church again. Because I remember when I first got to be a pastor, I got the keys to the church. I, when I was a youth pastor, I had the keys to the church as well, but I got to go in and I got to open the doors. I got to turn on the lights. And, and I, got to, I got to take care of God's house. I got to be with the Lord. You know, I, it was so enjoyable. And then after a while, it was like I got to where I didn't want to do it anymore. I got, hated going to church. I, I, I loved God, but I hated everything. I hated all this kind of stuff. And then I, and God just took me out of that. And after some years of famine, I began to realize how, how awesome it really was. And, you know, it's amazing. You always want what's on the other side. Grass is always greener on the other side, right? But I'd lost my wonder and privilege for what God had called me to, and God was restoring that to me. These priests had forgotten who they served and their privilege in being able to serve God. It got to be where it was just a job, and as such, all that mattered was putting in the time and keeping up appearances. Honoring God was far from their priority, and so they treated their responsibilities lightly, and thus they treated the things that they needed to do lightly and the things of God lightly. Thank God for the prophetic voice of Malachi that God spoke to that brought God's truth back to the forefront and gave the opportunity for the priest to hear the truth, and it gave them, in hearing the truth, the opportunity to repent and turn back to God. Now, we don't know if they did. Malachi doesn't tell us whether they did or not. But we do see that God 
gave a prophetic word through Malachi to the priests so that they could. And what we need to realize is that that's the beauty of God's word. That's the beauty of God's truth. That's the beauty of the fact that God is the same yesterday and today and forever, and he doesn't compromise. The beauty of it is when we are, uh, when we are presented with the true word of God and God is showing us truth and everything he does is he does in love, as I said before, it gives us the opportunity to, uh, to set our sights on where we should be and ask God to bring us to the place that we need to be. We can't be lowering God's bar to our experience. We have to raise our experience to God's bar. This Bible is called the canon of Scripture. It's not because if it was a cartoon, you could shoot it. The word canon means standard. This is the standard of God. We need to realize the gift that God has given us in His Word. When we recognize it as being truth and refuse to compromise truth to to uh, legitimize our experience, but we read it understanding the precious gift that God has given to us, then when we see where we're missing or something is lacking, we see the promises of God, not just the bad things, but the good things that God has promised to us, then we can say, God, my life doesn't match this standard. Help me to get there. You hear what I'm saying? Gave the opportunity through Malachi for the priest to hear the truth, repent, and turn back to God. I want to tell you that preaching, there's a lot of hazard in preaching. I got bombarded by a mosquito up here. It was, I think it was, a, what do you call it, one of those sabotage mosquitoes, what they call a kamikaze mosquito. How do, we, how do I end this? Well, remember I said this isn't about you? It is about you. It's about me. It's about all of us. Because the New Testament calls us as believers, priests, we are a kingdom of priests. First Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen generation. He's talking to the, to the Christians. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We. Turn to somebody and say, I think he's talking to we. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that we you, we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. As his priests, we act as God's ambassadors. We are chosen vehicles through whom God has chosen to serve and to represent him on his behalf. In order to faithfully do so, we must maintain and foster our love and reverence for God. <coughs> Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says this. For this reason, Paul is praying this prayer over the church of Ephesus. And he said, this is what I want for you. Basically, he's saying, this is what I pray for you. This is what I want for you. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you, the church of Ephesus, the church in general, believers, us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Oh, awesome. 
that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints just how awesome and great is that love. He says it this way, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that we may be filled with all not some not most with all the fullness of God and I could say it this way we might be filled with the love of God and what happens when you're filled with the love of God you overflow Jesus said it this way love God with all your heart soul mind and strength love your as yourself you notice he didn't say to love your neighbor before you love God you love God and out of that love for God you get filled to the full and there's an overflow of love that you can then impart to the people around you why because in Matthew 5 16 Jesus also said let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and in seeing your good works glorify your father in heaven we represent God we represent God not just by what we say we represent God by how we live and by what we do there's been a, a break in the modern-day church between what we say and what we do there has to be a a, a, a reforging of that um, that break that has taken place uh, where what we say is reflected by what we do. I know you're a Christian. Why? Because of how you live. I've been watching you. I've been watching how you live. I've been watching how you talk. I've been watching how you walk. I've been watching your Facebook page. Can you tell you're a Christian by your Facebook page? I just threw that in there. Luke 7, 47. This is, this is what's important. See, the priests were taking lightly the things of God because they forgot who God was and got, what God had done for them. And there, there's a parable where a woman comes in, and she, uh, Jesus had been invited to a Pharisee's house, and a woman comes in who was, uh, the, the, the Pharisee was Simon, whose house he was at, said, if you knew what kind of woman this was, she had started... Uh, uh, washing his feet with her hair, wiping them with her hair, doing all that kind of stuff. If you knew what kind of woman this was, you wouldn't let her do that. Rick interpretation. And Jesus said to her, let me ask you a question, Simon. Uh, if someone owed, uh, I forgot what it was, 50, let's just say 50 denarius, and someone owed 500, and they were both forgiven, who would appreciate it more? Well, I guess the one that was forgiven and then Jesus turns around and he says, um, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. But he was basically saying, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. What he was basically saying is, this woman knows where she came from. She recognizes who she was, and in recognizing who she was, received the same forgiveness that you 
receive if you come to me. The only thing is, she's more aware of just how lost she was than you are. And because she's aware of that, her love overflows. And see, what we need to realize is all of us were forgiven the same. For all have and fallen short of the glory of God. What we want to do sometimes is we want to say, well, we were all forgiven the same. We're all in the same position because we were all forgiven, but I wasn't forgiven as much as that prostitute, or I wasn't forgiven. I wasn't as bad as they were from your perspective. But when you stand before a holy God, we were all in the same boat. We were all in the same place. Well, what difference does it make? It makes a difference in how you love. When you know where you came from, I know who I was. I wasn't a drug addict. I wasn't, a, 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 you know, some uh, person uh, with a, a, a vagrant. I, I wasn't a, a thief. I wasn't that. But I was lost. When I got saved, God changed my life. He gave me. You see, I think, I think too much today, nothing wrong with it, but I think the emphasis too much today is making sure that you die well. And I'm not saying that that's not important, but I got saved, and the Lord gave me a reason to live well. And if I live well, I'm assured that I will die well. There's a lot of people that are looking to die well that are not assured of living well. God gave me a reason to live. And I live knowing what he did for me. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not perfect. Some of you are more aware of what God has done for you. But because we're aware, we don't lose sight of the fact. I did once. I did once. I don't want that to happen to any of us. I don't want that to happen to me, and I don't want that to happen to you. I know what it's like to uh, go to work and not like being there, and wishing you hadn't been there, wishing you could do something else. I want you to know that I've been in the church, in this church, for 18 years because this is where the Lord brought me back to. He didn't bring me back to a 5,000-member padded pew church. He brought me back to a church that was had 29 members and could barely pay what was needed to sustain not just one person but not even a, but, but a family much nonetheless but I didn't care I cared about the fact that I got to open the doors of the church again and I got to be in the house of God fulfill my call and I got to honor God with my life doesn't mean I was perfect doesn't mean I didn't make mistakes it doesn't mean I still didn't have things in my life that God didn't needed to clean up but God gave me the privilege of serving him, and I never want to take it for granted what a privilege it is to serve God. Some of you can't stand, thank you. Some of you can't stand your, church, your, your job, not your church, but your job, because you forgot, you, you've made your job the priority and not honoring God not realizing that your job isn't the priority, it's honoring God, and what you do at your job is just a place to honor God. 
And when you put the kingdom of God first, it doesn't matter what your job is. You look at it as your field, not as your life. Your life is God. But God gives you a field to honor Him, to represent Him in, to be an ambassador for. And sometimes your job, we're not saying your job isn't, isn't something God's called you to or isn't God's blessed you with. And we're not saying any of that. What we're saying is that when you go there, recognize that you go there in the position, in the work that you do, whether it's an electrician, whether it's an operator, whatever the case may be, or whether it's a pastor, you go there with the idea that I honor God by doing what I do and I get to be an ambassador where I'm at, and in some way, if God can use my profession, what I do, to lead others to the kingdom of God, then my life is fulfilled. And I don't want to lose sight of that. The last verse I have is John 14 and 15. Jesus said, through John, Actually, Jesus said, John wrote it. If you love me, oh, I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. We say it all the time, but remember what I said before. It's not about what you say, it's about what you do. If you love me, keep my commands. Don't water them down. Don't minimize them. Don't put them for somebody else, but not for you. Don't compromise them. Keep my commandments. He is the Word, and He speaks the Word, and He changes not. It's not His job to compromise who He is for me. It's my job to change, to come in line with what He says. And we do that because He so loved us that He gave His life. And out of love for God, I want to honor him by living my life according to his word in a way that shows what a great and awesome God he is. So when people see me, like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, they in some way can see Christ in me. Jesus says, as God has sent me into the Father, has sent me into the world, I send you into the world. You are the only Christ that some people will ever see. Amen? Okay.